The content in this podcast contained on this website and any media referenced within are for educational purposes only and does not replace the qualified advice of a medical professional. Hi, I'm Kathy Hart, and this is Healthy with Hart, a podcast about healing. And there is so much to learn, so there's no need for a long introduction. Let's just dive right in. So I decided to just read the blog that I wrote about the answer to gun violence possibly being in a song because a lot of times people see a long blog and they just don't want to read it. And it's much easier to listen to audio versions when they're driving on the train or whatever it may be. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the blog that I wrote. Is the answer to gun violence in a song? And this is a, an anonymous quote. At what point do we realize we've had enough moments of silence and understand what we really need is momentous change? The Nashville school shooting was my last straw. Should it have come sooner? Probably. I guess I just felt it was the responsibility of our elected officials to, and I'm doing air quotes, serve and protect. So I kept waiting on them to do something, but here we are. Instead of expressing my emotions on social media and going about my day, I decided to do some research in an effort to not only feel like I was doing something, but also to search for some tangible ideas that could be implemented right away. So let's first address gun control. 120 Americans are killed with guns daily, and firearms are now the number one leading cause of death for American children, and that includes death by suicide. Sometimes that last straw can leave us grasping for straws in finding solutions. Since the Covenant school shooting in Nashville, many more people have been actively stepping up and speaking up. I think it's beautiful. The voice of the people can be very powerful and effective. However, our vision is often blurred because of our anger, our hurt, and our fear for our children. As a result, our passion for a solution is often reactive and misguided, making it easy to get sucked into the trap of finger pointing or losing sight altogether of realistic solutions. It then becomes politics over a solution. And there's no need for a rant about how our government, both parties, has utterly effed up our country. That's already been done ad nauseum, merely skirting solutions and dividing us more than we already are, right? So enough. The lives of our children and the state of our country are not a competition to prove someone right or wrong. It's time to put politics, ego, and agenda aside and open our minds. We need to work in unity as a community. I'm no expert on government, guns, or mental health, but I'm sharing what I found in my research just to open a discussion. So here we go, gun control. Mass shootings naturally spark talk of gun control. Take away the guns, the shootings won't happen, right? While that is a dreamy notion, it is sadly unrealistic. Gun violence will never be stopped. When someone is determined to kill, they're going to find a way. And if they don't get the guns legally, they'll almost certainly find a way to get them illegally. Could a ban on assault weapons at least help save some lives? One would think so. Mass shootings dropped when the 1994 ban was enacted, but that was a different time. It's nearly 30 years later. It's much easier now to find access to guns. Yes, mass shootings increased when the ban expired in 2004, but guns are not the only reason. We need to look beyond the statistics. Mass shootings are going up for several reasons, including an increase in mental health disorders, decrease in human connection and socialization, desensitization, lack of coping strategies in younger generations, an increase in political extremism and hate groups, 
and copycats or those looking for notoriety. And think about this. If a ban is implemented, how does the government collect the millions of weapons already in circulation? Americans have had nearly 20 years since that ban expired to purchase and stockpile such weapons. On the other hand, many of the high-profile mass shooters purchased their weapons less than a year before committing their act. So it is possible that reinstating the ban could have an impact. If the ban is reinstated, are these killers likely to find their weapons elsewhere? Where there's a will, there's a way. But if a ban can prevent one child from being killed, wouldn't it be worth it? So let's talk a compromise. Living in Montana, and from my days volunteering in the Tempe, Arizona Police Department, that's a story for another day, I've been witness to passionate, responsible gun owners, and I understand their stance defending the Second Amendment. I'm also a parent trying to understand the necessity of automatic weapons in our society. Knowing that these weapons are typically used in these school shootings, the Nashville shooter, for example, fired 152 rounds. Couldn't the NRA and gun enthusiasts support a compromise in stating some sensible gun laws that would certainly prevent deaths, like waiting periods, background checks, banning the high-capacity magazines? In the meantime, with a ban not likely to happen, how do we protect our children from gun violence? Sadly, short of homeschooling, I don't believe that's entirely possible today. Any protective measures taken in schools are not fail-proof. However, if you want to get involved with gun violence prevention, there's an organization called Everytown. It's made up of mayors, moms, teachers, survivors, gun owners, students, and everyday Americans to make their communities safer. The website is everytown.org. Okay, here's another quote. It's not the gun, it's the person pulling the trigger. Let's talk mental health. America's mental health crisis is at epidemic levels. The correlation between mass shooters and psychiatric drug use certainly exists. Do you know that more than 24% of Americans are now prescribed mental health medication? Researchers examined documents from 70 double-blind placebo-controlled trials of two common types of antidepressants, and they found that the occurrence of suicidal thoughts and aggressive behavior doubled in children and adolescents who use these medications. And as far back as 2011, a report by the National Center for Health Statistics revealed that important data about the safety of these drugs, especially their risks for children and adolescents, has been withheld from the medical community and the public. What the hell? That part was not written in my blog. <laughs> Another report found that pharma employees wrote a third of the meta-analysis of antidepressant studies, and these were 22 times less likely than other meta-studies to include negative statements about the drug. So in 2005, Effexor manufacturer Wyeth Pharmaceuticals quietly added, quote, homicidal ideation, end quote, to the drug's list of adverse events. Paxil's known adverse drug reactions include mania, paranoid reactions, psychosis, hostility, hallucinations, abnormal thinking, depersonalization, and lack of emotion, among others. And Prozac maker Eli Lilly settled a lawsuit brought by survivors of a 1989 mass shooting in Kentucky. These are just a few examples. If these drugs pose such a threat, there would be a load of high-profile lawsuits, right? <laughs> yeah, we know Big Pharma better than that. Drug companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars settling claims out of court, and then they often cloak them with confidentiality agreements. So why are so many more people being prescribed these meds? 
There's likely many reasons. Here are a few of my thoughts. They're just my personal thoughts. Most doctors are not afforded the time necessary with patients to get to the root cause of their symptoms. Most doctors are trained to treat only the symptoms, not find the source of the symptoms. And after years of doing medical research, I've seen how often anxiety and depression can be caused by underlying health conditions that are so often overlooked. I have another blog about that. And then some patients come in with anxiety from just common everyday struggles. But since they have not learned coping skills and they know they can get a prescription, they're handed that prescription and it often makes them dependent on meds for years instead of learning crucial life skills or alternative ways of dealing with anxiety. And by the way, it's very essential to acknowledge some people undoubtedly benefit from mental health medication. Unfortunately, I've also known many people prescribe the medication who have been harmed by it, myself included. Years ago, I suffered a panic attack. My doctor gave me Xanax. The doctor spent less than 10 minutes with me. And when the Xanax didn't help, he gave me an antidepressant. I was like, what? I'm far from depressed. Well, that antidepressant, the first time I took it, put me in the ER. I eventually found an integrative MD who discovered my adrenal glands were causing my anxiety. Another example I have was with both my boys diagnosed ADHD, but before putting them on medication, I decided to have some lab work done, and that revealed Lyme disease in both of them. A lot of people, including doctors, do not know that ADHD and pediatric Lyme symptoms are almost identical. So again, conventional medical doctors don't even know to consider Lyme as a possibility. The question to ask yourself and your practitioner, what is happening to my body, my brain, that is causing this anxiety and depression? Similar to the previous examples I gave, something else might be happening with you or your child that would explain the symptoms. And quite often, I have seen mold and or Lyme, even diet, as the culprit for anxiety and depression. Find a practitioner who can get to the root cause of these neurological issues. And listen to this. This is very interesting. 95% of our serotonin, which is responsible for regulating mood, is made in our gut. And I did some further research and found that risk of depression is 25 to 35% lower in those eating a diet high in vegetables, fruits, unprocessed grains, fish and seafood, and modest amounts of dairy and lean meats. So diet definitely plays a part. A deficiency in serotonin causes depression. And with the current standard American diet, most Americans have gut issues. Here's another piece to the puzzle. Think of how drastically lifestyles have changed since our grandparents or even our parents' generation. Overall, they were so much healthier and they were active. Physical activity is 1.5 times more effective at reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety than medication or cognitive behavior therapy. A study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine reviewed more than 1,000 research trials and found that doing 150 minutes weekly of various types of physical activity like brisk walking, lifting weights, yoga, significantly reduces depression, anxiety, and psychological distress compared to usual care such as medications and counseling. Now again, this is in bold. This is not to say a yoga class is a cure-all and counseling can be highly effective for a lot of people. Be aware though, that this is another area that requires some homework. If you don't, it can be a waste of time, money, and not be beneficial as far as the uh, therapy goes. I once had a therapist just sit there and listen 
never offered any advice. I walked out like, I could have just said all that to my girlfriend. Why am I paying this dude? He gave me no advice. And for the sake of privacy, I won't say who, but I know of a child who had six sessions with a therapist and all they did was play games. Now, I understand that was an effort to bond with the child, but ultimately it wasn't a good fit. It wasn't helping the child. So before securing a therapist, not easy to find these days, do your due diligence. So back to exercise, obviously it has some additional benefits that can improve mental health. It just gives you better overall physical health. It helps with your sleep and sleep plays a crucial role in depression and anxiety. And exercise releases endorphins and dopamine and we like those. But another thing to consider is when someone is truly depressed, they often can't bring themselves to exercise. So maybe finding an accountability partner could help or just some light activity around the house. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental issues, mental health issues, I have listed a whole bunch of resources on my blog page that you can find helpful. All right. Whew, that was a lot on mental health. But I also decided to dig a little deeper and think about a few other things on how we can help and how we can be active in trying to prevent gun violence. Vote. And if you do vote, just keep this in mind. Voting for a candidate based on their gender, their race, or party affiliation, in my opinion, is irresponsible. We can't be lazy. We've got to do our homework on each candidate. There's too much at risk now. We have a responsibility as voters to know the intentions of each person we want to elect. So again, don't vote for a candidate based on their gender or their race or simply their party affiliation. We got to do the work. It's time to fight for our country and it's time to fight for our children. Another thing is give grace to people. It's okay to be different. It's okay to disagree. One of the hardest lessons I've learned is to break the habit of instantly getting defensive when listening to an opposing view or receiving criticism from somebody. As much as it physically pained me to sit and listen to criticism one time, I, I remember one specific incident, incident, is that the word? Anyway, it was a hard truth that I needed to hear. Um, sometimes criticism will just open my eyes to a new perspective. So we just have to be open to hearing this. And we also need to stop judging or dismissing people just because they have a different opinion. Civil conversations are an opportunity to learn from one another. And if we just simply don't agree with them, we can respectfully disagree. We don't have to change their mind. All right, here's another one that's going to cause some controversy because we're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. But I believe in praying. And we have just become such a secular society, meaning there's no God in, in society. Where has God gone in our lives? The American family has continued to break down. We've seen a significant decline in faith, all of which can affect mental health. Remember how common it was for families to go to church on Sundays? Being active in faith strengthened our moral compass. It, it was church where we were often offered grace and hope and solutions for our problems. I know that when I was in my darkest storm, the only thing that got me through without sinking into depression was stepping into my faith. It was almost like free therapy. And I understand that some churches and denominations are not welcoming to all. But to that, I would just say, you know what? Find one that is. They are out there. 
and many have youth groups for kids and young adults. And then there's this. A recent conversation I had with a friend gave me another nugget of insight. She said, and I'm quoting, our world went to hell in a handbasket the minute school kids were no longer allowed to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. So for reference, for those of you who don't remember standing up at the start of class every day, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, some people immediately respond with, uh-uh-uh-uh, what about separation of church and state? Many don't realize that this expression is not found in our Constitution. Rather, it was used by Thomas Jefferson in reference to the defense of the First Amendment, which prohibits government interference in religious activities. So then when you think about it, separation of church and state does not refer to the church staying out of the government, but instead means that the government must stay out of the church. A founding principle, and again I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That clearly recognizes God as an invaluable part of the founding of this country. And before we move on real quick, let's just look at the definition of liberty. Freedom from arbitrary government or control, independence, freedom from control, interference, obligation, etc., power or right of doing, thinking, speaking according to choice. In our post-COVID world, we have lost many of these freedoms and we seem perilously close to losing more. So my friend continued with this, quote, how is it okay that the government has taken away a woman's right to choose? How is it okay that the government has more power than parents in making medical choices for their children? But it's okay to take away the Pledge of Allegiance? End quote. Again, I challenge some compromise here. Allow the kids who believe in God to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. For others, offer an opportunity to observe a custom prominent to their backgrounds. Think of what a beautiful lesson it could be to teach our children that we can have different beliefs while respectfully recognizing our differences. My friend also added that our hurt feelings culture with the everyone wins a trophy mindset is taking away the opportunity to teach kids valuable coping skills. What it is teaching them is that they don't have to put in the same effort as others because they're still going to be rewarded. This results in no incentive to work hard towards something. The hurt feelings culture seems to have gone from initial good intentions to causing anger and resentment as acceptance is often demanded from this new culture. Consequently, we're left picking up the pieces from a nation that has gone from indivisible to one that is frighteningly more divided than ever. So the bottom line, I believe the solution for mass shootings is figuring out why mass shootings are the solution for those who carry them out. Let's ask ourselves, what has happened to cause our country's mental health epidemic? How do we help our youth struggling with their identity, worth, and sanity? Again, another multifaceted, complicated topic. And it may be a small step, but a good start is to remember we are all human beings. We're all connected. There's a strong force at work determined to break that connection. Yeah, here's my kumbaya. Look, we don't have to agree with other people's personal choices. So many people are hurting, and we all know that hurt people hurt. 
let's try to remember pain is often the catalyst behind choices. Therefore, we have our own choice to add to that hurt or shine a little light into someone's darkness. So as I was wondering how best to wrap this up, I had a random Spotify playlist playing in the background, and an Elvis Costello song came on. I know, Elvis Costello, who's that? But look him up. It's a great song. The song comes on, and the timing I really felt was no coincidence. I'm going to give you some of the lyrics. As I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity, I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain and hatred and misery? And each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I want to know. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Thanks for listening to Healthy With Heart. I'm Kathy Hart. If you found this podcast to be of benefit in any way, please share. Healing is in our hands. Blessings.